Two girls talking. You know what that means. It's time to talk. What's going on in the world? How about your business? How about your life? Let's talk it out. Two girls talking. Hi, everyone. It's Anna. And it's Ashley. Thank you so much for joining us today, coming back to us. We're so happy you're here. So let's think about this, Anna. When's the last time that you actually sat down and did nothing? I want to know. A long, long time ago, it feels like. Yeah, before kids. Right. Okay. I'm going to say I've certainly gotten better about it after my whole health crisis and everything. Right. Um, And our guest today is going to talk about just that. I am so thrilled to introduce my friend. She's a Soviet immigrant, author, former reporter, and actress, Jessie Asia Kanzer. Her book, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, Healing, Chilling, and Living with the Tao Te Ching, is the first work ever to apply the ancient spiritual teachings of this wisdom, this ancient wisdom from the Tao Te Ching, she's going to talk all about what that is, to the life of a modern woman. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you both. So excited to speak with you. We are oh my gosh. Yeah, so are we. So we actually, we have a lot to talk about, Jesse, because, you know, at the time of this taping today, um, the world woke up to uh, a war and Russia invaded Ukraine. And um, you actually had an op-ed published same day in the in the USA Today, all about your story and how you are so closely tied to what's happening right now in Ukraine. So let's start there. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and just share what your thoughts and feelings are around what's happening here uh, with the invasion of in Ukraine? Yes, I'm happy to. I'm not happy about what's going on, but I'm happy to share my take on it because, as I said in my USA Today op-ed, what this always brings me back to, this chaos and this scare um, kind of mentality that is gripping all of us right now, this fear, it brings me back to what can we do within us. So to backtrack a little, I was born in the former Soviet Union. I was born in Latvia. And uh, my family on my mother's side was there for generations. Now they suffered under a different dictator, There was before Putin, this has been a long line of suffering in Russia and then the Soviet Union. And it was under Stalin that my grandma's family was sent to the Stalin camps in Siberia, away from their homeland of Latvia. Then the Nazis came in and killed all of her Jewish relatives. And so it took many years, many generations for her to make her way back to Latvia, where I was eventually born. On my father's side... His family hails from the Ukraine and they too had to run from the Nazis and they too returned there. And my my father grew up in Ukraine. It was the first place I ever visited as a child because I have family there. And eventually we did leave the Soviet Union at the time, 1989, for America. I settled down here. I struggled as most immigrants do, and especially immigrant children with identity and belonging. And my book, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, talks a lot about my own struggles, my own search for an identity that goes beyond nationality, ethnicity, religion, and the Tao Te Ching, this ancient philosophy about connecting with a greater power, connecting with your own way. It's been a lot of help to me. And so when something like this happens that brings a lot of old generational trauma to the surface, 
I lean on the teachings that have helped me in the past. They've helped me with my own personal crises of eating disorders and depression and anxiety. And I lean on these teachings now to reconnect with an internal peace that is actually available to all of us. Right. Right. Well, let's speak about your internal peace and what's happening <laughs> okay. in your father's homeland. This is just this just has to be chilling. It, it's history repeating itself to your family. Yeah. Well, luckily for my family, we are here. For the most part, we're all here. That doesn't stop. You know, we have a lot of family friends who are on the edge of their seats in Latvia. That was my homeland. So I've actually applied for Latvian citizenship this year for me and my daughters because I am eligible and Latvia is now this thriving country in the European Union and is doing well. And that is what Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, wanted for his country. And to uh, give you another point of connection that I have, I was an actress uh, throughout my 20s. I was this struggling actress, actress, waitress. And I was on a movie called No Love in the City or Love in the Big City, depends on how you translate it. It was a Russian film filming right here in New York. And I got one of the bit parts in it. And guess who was the star? It was Vladimir Zelensky. Yep. He was starring in his first big film. This was his first big film. And after that, he just skyrocketed. You know, his fame mm-hmm. took off. He played a president in a sitcom in Ukraine. And then he actually won that role. So <laughs> yeah. What a story, right? Role. And all I'm thinking now is like, man, I bet he wishes he stayed a comedian actor. And I joke about it, but seriously, like I did a few interviews about this and people ask me like, do you think, you know, he's a comedian actor? Is he cut out for, you know, leading his country through war? And I was like, who's cut out? Who's in their right mind? Who is trying to get their country to a place of peace and maybe a place of unity with other nations, the way Latvia was able to do and become part of the European Union. I know that that's what Ukrainians wanted to become part of NATO, to become part of a larger network of thriving countries. Who who in their right mind is ready to face off a crazy man dictator in war? Like, no, he's not ready. Uh, and yet I hope that with the help of other nations, with this togetherness. So the Tao Te Ching teaches us that every side has a counter side, right? There's a paradox always yep. happening. And so as we see this frightening thing take place in the world, we also see a really beautiful coming together that really was missing in the time of Trump. It was missing for a long time where the U.S. feels like it's joined with the rest of the world. Europe feels like it's joined together. Like there's a really it feels like a joining for for peace, a joining for the greater good that's going on right now. And that's what I lead into in times like this. And and in times like this, when, you know, we all woke up today and we're like, oh my God, what the hell is happening? A lot of people are anxious, fearful, even here in America. It's like, oh yes. my gosh, I'm get, I have Texas. This is World War III. And how do we talk to our kids about this? You say peace begins with me. So what advice do you have that relates to what you've learned with the Tao that can calm our anxieties about this situation that is rapidly unfolding right now? Well, first of all, I want to just remind folks, this is something I learned pretty recently, that today in our world, we take in more information in a day than people just a couple of hundred years ago did in their in their entire lifetime. So one of the things we need to learn to do, and this is where the do nothing comes in, is to turn off the noise. 
Mm. And yes, it can feel counterintuitive because we're living in a time when like, oh my God, has a war begun? Has World War III mm-hmm. begun, right? We need this information. Mm-hmm. But we also need to preserve our sanity and preserve ourselves and take breaks. And so the little uh, mantra that I say, peace begins with me, it's also a mudra that you do in your hand and you tap each finger mm-hmm. to your thumb. So it's four words. You tap peace begins with me. And you can do this and you kind of like run the words in your mind and you just do this on your, on your fingers. I have friends with anxiety who've really, who still struggle with anxiety, who've really come to depend on it because you just tap. It's a little tapping motion. It's these little tricks that we take. We remind ourselves, Ashley, I know you're a big lover of breathing tech techniques. Mm-hmm. And then, so we remind ourselves to take deep breaths and we remind ourselves to turn stuff off, to turn off our notifications, to close our computer down and to sit for five minutes. All I'm saying is a couple of minutes. And when we look out the window and we just watch the trees moving and we remember, you know, who doesn't care about all of this? The birds, they're just flying around. And we remember the peace that exists in the world inherently. Mm. And we connect with that piece and we connect with that piece within ourselves. And we all have different practices. I meditate, people journal, you find the practice that works for you. You just remember to take breaks from the external messages to connect with your inner peace, because it's the people who are able to do that, that actually are the most needed in the world in times like this. It's the people who are able to then extend that piece to their interactions with their family, with their coworkers, with people at the store, people on the road. And in fact, you know, positive psychologists say that folks who identify as happier, folks who practice gratitude are also the same folks who take action in the world to help other people. So it may seem like, oh, what am I going to be selfish? Just turn everything off and go within. But it's not selfish. It's like putting on the oxygen mask first. Yeah. Right. I I would love for you to talk about just the, this ancient wisdom that's thousands of years old and, and how you, you know, it's been interpreted many times by men, but you're the first woman who's ever taken this and interpreted it for women in modern times. Like, I'm just curious, like, if you could share, like, did you have an aha moment? Like, oh, my gosh, I can take, like, what was your inspiration behind writing this book and making it digestible for, for right now? Right. And and how, how, explain, explain to, I've never heard of Dao De Chang. So, Mm. so how did you find this person? Yeah, that's a great question, too. (laughs) So the Dao De Ching comes from six Six, oh, that's okay. It's, there's so many pronunciations and I'm sure none of us are saying it the way it was said <laughs> originally, but it's from 6th century BC and it's actually the most second most translated text in the world after the Bible. And yet mm. here in our part of the world, a lot of people don't know about it. So I think it's so interesting that it's the second most translated text in the world. And yet so many of us don't know about it. And so I did feel like it was kind of my duty to bring it forward in whatever way I could, because it's been so important in my life. So as I said, I was an immigrant. I struggled with identity. I ended up with an eating disorder at a really young age. I say ended up with, because I think that the things that start when you're a teenager, I don't take full responsibility for like as an adult, 
sometimes we know better and we make mistakes. As a teenager, I didn't even know better, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know who I was. And I ended up in this situation where I had a really bad, many, many year eating disorder and I was depressed and I was anxious and I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted in the world. And I was just struggling to survive. And so I was purchasing every self-help book, every spiritual book I could lay my hands on. And you should see my my library. <laughs> I should a bookstore. And when I discovered the Tao Te Ching, it was almost kind of magical for me because it's this tiny book. It's this tiny pocket-sized version was the first one I had, this pocket-sized version of the Tao Te Ching with its little 81 verses, little poetry. It's like little poems that just tell you something about life, about the world. And they were so simple yet so complicated because you had to really Mm -hmm. think about them to get the point. And so I started using them in my healing journey. And I realized that the Tao was something I came back to time and time again, because then with all the changes of becoming a mother and I had postpartum depression, I came back to it again. And I started writing this book. I'd been published in New York Times, Washington Post before that. And I was writing a lot of personal essays, but there was something in me yearning to do more than just write my story, to find a way to connect it for other folks to to learn something as well, the way I was able to learn something. So, and I learned so much from so many spiritual masters, you know, and I started writing this before the pandemic. Then the pandemic happened. Then I was like like shit, like we really got to look at, look at this more deeply. And that's what don't just sit there, do nothing does. I take these words that were true then that remain true now. And you know, they're true because they feel true. You just know it. They're very common sense. They're not a religion. They're a way of looking and simplifying the world to bring it all back to this internal control that you do have and to practice it so that you can live a more easeful life. You know, I love that. And what I love about your book, Jesse, is like you break down all these verses from the Tao and then you kind of give like the modern time interpretation of it. And I'm curious if you could share, like, would you have a favorite verse or line from the Tao and like what it means? That's such a good question. And, you know, I love them all so much. And you know what I I was surprised that I had to do in this book is I couldn't use any one translation of the Tao. So I did not set out to be like a historian. I was just like writing my personal, you know, my personal Mm -hmm. essay. That's what I was before I wrote this book. But then I had to sit, I sat with dozens and dozens of translations and pick different lines. And I really, I actually am very grateful that I had to do that because I went so deep into this text that I did the work that I don't think folks have time to do for themselves because this is, you know, this was my job. This is what I was doing. Your journey, right. Yeah, it was my journey. And I was able to really go deep and to understand what was trying to be said. I mean, look, to interpret, I would say, to interpret. And I actually want to go back real fast to a question you asked, like why you think women didn't do this earlier or why I – I just, I think it's so interesting. It's a, it's complicated, right? It's a complex text in some ways. And if you look historically, and I, it's beautiful that this book comes out on the first day of, of Women's History Month. And I wonder why women didn't get their hands on a lot of different complicated philosophical texts and a lot of the, and I, I honestly think it was just, it was not because we didn't want to or because we couldn't, but it's because we didn't have that opportunity yet. That's true. Mm. Yeah. Very true. Do How, you see, 
Oh, go ahead, Anna. I'm like so many no, no, questions. No, no, you go no, ahead, no, Anna. No, no. I, was just, I, was just gonna, I guess I was just going to ask you what is it that really spoke to you from this from 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 this? And I don't I don't know. Was the Dow a man? I don't even know. So what was it that really spoke to you, this modern woman? from these ancient texts. I know you say it's very simple. And, and I'm also wondering too, you talked about how you had several different translations. Well, like dozens. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. is it, were they, how different were they? Were they different? Because I speak, I speak Spanish. So I speak a second language and I know uh, and the different dialects within, within Spanish and within English. Right. So I know that, the languages change a little bit, even if you're speaking the same language. So what I'm wondering is, how did the text change within the different languages? Like, did it, did, it, did, did one thing or one word mean something here? And could those words have maybe changed or different? I guess I'm asking a lot of different questions. Sorry well, about no, that. I understand what you're saying. I mean, okay, so it was it's said to be written, the Tao Te Ching is said to have been written. The Tao Te Ching translates as the book of the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Tao that gets referred to a lot in this book is the way. Now, what you interpret, I I actually think of the Tao as synonymous with God, with the universe, with source energy. Um, I love that the Tao Te Ching presents it almost as a verb, you know, the mm-hmm. way, like a way right, right. is something you do. And I talk about this in the book that now I think about God as godding. I'm godding, I'm, I'm Taoing. You know, is there, because we think about everything so abstractly, right? And uh, in our Western world, we almost have this image of God as a man, or a lot of us have been brought up that way. Um, And what I found in the translation, so, okay, so to go back, the Tao Te Ching, the book of the way is said to have been written by Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu, though, translates as old man. So clearly it wasn't written by old man. Right. (laughs) Uh, Historians think it was written by an amalgam of people. Sure. And we don't really know. We really actually don't know, you know, who the, I don't think it was one person. When you look at different translations, there are different idiosyncrasies that happen with language. The language it was written in doesn't exist anymore. Yes, it was Chinese. It was a version of Chinese, but it was, you know, it was ancient. Right. It happens to a lot of languages. I found by looking, what I loved is by looking at all of these different translations, I found that the point was always the same. The major points of the Tao, this reconnecting. And so um, Ashley was asking me if I have a favorite verse. I really don't. I love all of them, but I just wanted to look at one. I just like randomly, what I do sometimes is randomly open it, not necessarily my book, one of the Tao books. I'll open it and I'll just see what speaks to me. Mm. And I thought, you know, Given the situation of the world right now, I thought you would like this quick little bit from one verse. This is from verse 49 of the Tao. The master has no fixed mind of her own. She works with the mind of the people. If people are good, she is good to them. If people are not good, she's also good to them. This is true goodness. She trusts people who are trustworthy. She also trusts people who are not trustworthy. This is the nature of trust. And I really, you know, after each verse, I would put in my own little modern day interpretation. I wrote, open your mind to the world and you will find teachers everywhere and in everything, most incredibly within yourself. 
uh, because mm. at the end of this verse, it said the master's mind is like space. It's always unsuspecting and innocent like an infant. I mm. love this so much right now um, that it reminds me of something Wayne Dyer taught, uh, the spiritual teacher, Wayne Dyer. He love said, him. if you take an orange and you squeeze that orange, what comes out? Orange juice, right? Orange juice comes out. So if you yell at the orange or if you trick the orange or if you're rude to the orange and you squeeze it, does it change what comes out? And no. to me, this is such an important, this is exactly what the Tao was saying, except in 6th century BC, BC, when you connect with your true inner goodness, your true peace that I'm talking about, we're talking about peace right now. When you find the inner peace, does that inner peace change because the circumstances around you change? If mm. the world is in chaos, are you still a peaceful person? And the answer is yes. If you work on your inner peace, no matter what, you remain that that beacon of peace for other people. And that is a really important, it's an important calling. And I would invite anyone who feels the calling to cultivate peace and to cultivate love and to cultivate light within themselves to take it on because that is, in my opinion, how we change the world. We don't change the world in these massive ways. Clearly, the people who are at the top have agendas of their own. We change the world internally, and then we spread that light to each other. I love right. this so much. I mean, one thing that comes to my mind is what you're saying is embracing peace. Um, you know, you talk about the importance to continue to embrace stillness, um, which is really, really hard to do in our culture. Um, can you talk a little bit about why it's so important to embrace stillness and as even in the title of your book and doing, do nothing. Yeah. And you know, it is hard for all of us. I just want to say that just because I wrote this book and I know (laughs) this, it is hard. You know, it's interesting to live in today's world. I find it very challenging. I think it's challenging to be a human. I think it takes courage to show up and be human. I really do. As long as you're here, you know, somebody told me recently, oh, it's so, it's so courageous. It's so brave that you revealed your story. And Ashley, I know you revealed your story. And, and I thought, yeah, I guess, but it's brave to just be here. I really do believe mm. it's brave to keep showing up because on the one hand, we know that we have this power within us and we know that there's a better way to be. And on the other hand, we have to live in the world that is as it is. So the importance of getting still, even amidst chaos and perhaps war and perhaps the insanity of our packed calendars, the importance is to keep reconnecting. That's the only way. That's actually the only way you can keep keep inner peace is by cultivating moments, sometimes just moments of stillness where you shut out the world and go within because we were all born with an inner peace, a power, a magic. We were all born with it. I really believe that. What, what do you do to cultivate, like just you, Jesse, personally, as someone who's written this book about it and has studied the Tao, what do you do personally to cultivate that inner peace? So I have a little bit of an advantage at this point because I've been doing this for a really long time and I do not let that, you know, I keep the humility. I always say I keep the humility of a fuck up. Excuse my language. I keep the humility of a loser. Because I was for such a long time. I mean, come on. Like I was this girl that would just I sit still. If I had st- any time to 
to myself, I would binge and purge. That's what I did with stillness. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I literally, so I am, I, when I talk to other people, I remember that because now I've had decades of cultivating meditation, of cultivating walks in the woods with nothing around me, like not even headphones in my ears. Uh, but on a busy day, what I'm able to do is at this point in my life, I have really good control of my thoughts. And I, I, that's why I say I have some advantage because I realize that it's hard for people. And for people who are just starting out on this journey, I want to remind you that you are not your thoughts. That when you start to become the observer of your thoughts, oh, that awareness becomes a superpower. You're able to, to see your crazy mind. We all have a crazy mind. In yes. World. You're able to see it and not, not identify with it. But at this point, I do have control of my thoughts. And so when I have a lot of things to do, one thing that I don't allow myself is to obsess over the before and the after. I, mm. I stop myself. So a lot of it is because, of course, there are times when we have to do things. So sure. the, the do nothing comes in is when, I, when I'm able to just do what I need to do. It's actually not that bad. It's actually not that much. It's actually not that crazy. When I'm able to stop all of the anxiety beforehand and stop all of the, you know, ruminating afterwards, that amount of energy that saves is huge. So then I'm in the moment and I just do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And living like that is, boy, is that easier. I, I can t- totally see where it would be easier because I am someone who goes back and looks over the day and I think to myself, what could I have done better? What could I have done? And then the next thing you know, I'm down that rabbit hole. I say this all the time. So why I can't do certain things. I'm just down that rabbit hole. Cause I guess from what I hear from you is that if you live presently in the moment, it's not that you don't have regrets, but maybe you can stop yourself from obsessing about them. Like what could have my mistakes? Cause I know that's what I do. I'm like, Ugh, me too. I could have done this better. I should have done that better. I think, you know, I, I have a, such understanding for what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong. I always say it's okay to mine our experiences for the lessons, but here's the big, but if you can do it without regret, because I believe in a natural unfolding of life and everything yeah. happens for a reason and everything happens the, even if it doesn't happen for a reason, even if you don't subscribe to that and you know, everyone has different ideas about life in the world, everything happens as it happens. So what's the point? I don't let myself anymore. And I write about this and don't just sit there doing nothing. I don't let myself anymore waste energy on coulda, shoulda, woulda. Like, what's the point? This, this is what it is. Accept what is and go from there. Now, if if you look back on some things and you learn something from them, great. But then you're using your experiences. And it's funny enough that that's the chapter called Use It is the chapter where I also talk about Zelensky. I, I say mm-hmm. jokingly, my Zelensky, because I was in a yeah. movie with him. But I, I thought it was brilliant what he was able to do with his success, how he used what was occurring with him that you know, he was just portraying a character. Let's be honest, he was portraying a president in a sitcom. And he got so much attention and so much love because also this president was fighting corruption. And there was a lot of corruption in Ukraine at the time. And he said, I can do this in real life. I'm going to do this. 
and he used what happened and that takes such balls, right? Like, you know, this is why, this is why I think perhaps he is the person to be in position right now. Perhaps, perhaps he does know more than, more than he's given credit for, but you know, time will tell. I just think that the importance of using everything in your life for your own improvement, for the improvement of others, it's such a beautiful thing because then you can't, then you don't live with regrets. Then you understand that that mistake, maybe you A, learned something from it or B, you were able to pivot. Mm -hmm. But everything, you know, because if we lived perfect lives and did everything perfectly, we wouldn't be in this human form. Mm -hmm. Sure. I want to also call out um, a verse that really spoke to me because this is a question I wanted to ask you. Um, I am a recovering people pleaser. I know you are too. I think we all are. I've, you know, tried to personally dissect where that comes from. And I have a lot of thoughts about that, but in verse 38, I won't, I won't read the whole one, but I'll read, I'll I'll read a part of it. The highest good is not to seek to do good, but to allow yourself to become it, to give without thinking, without keeping account, without seeking gain, to always adhere to what is virtuous and is not true virtue. And then it goes on, but you basically say, in other words, stop trying so hard to be good. You are worthy and the good and good the minute you are born. So just be it. And to me, that really makes me think about people pleasing because it was like, I wanted to prove to the world that I was good and I was worthy and therefore like said yes to everything. But then when I had my health breakdown, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't be good. Like I can't try to be something for someone else. And like reading this verse and, and your, um, interpretation of it just brought me a lot of peace. Um, because just you are worthy and good the minute you were born. And so can you talk about that and just how that might relate to people pleasing and our worthiness? Yes. And thank you for reading that. I, you know, the most beautiful thing, and you know this about writing a book is what other people do with it. I really believe yeah. that because everything that I needed from this book, I already got in the yeah. writing. I really did. I really yeah. did. I'm a different person now for having written it. Um, so I too, especially coming from the former, former Soviet Union, where they really did train kids to be good kids from a very young age, good Soviet kids. Yeah. So what, is, what does that mean? What, so, what, what is a good Soviet kid? A good Soviet kid does not interrupt people. <laughs> not interrupt people. <laughs> a good Soviet kid listens to what is told to them by authority, whether it's their parents, their teachers, whoever, and does it without questioning. A good Soviet kid is quiet until called for a call that, you know, called out in class. You, you good Soviet kid sits still, keeps themselves small and raises their hand like this in a very neat way. Uh, it was so different, so jarring to come to America and see these crazy Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I was like, oh my God. At first I was, you know, horrified. Then I was so jealous. I was like, I wanted to be American so badly. And I really am. I really am. I'm like, I really am an American person at heart. I love all of the good stuff America has to offer, the freedom. But funny enough, as I hear from women who grew up in America, uh, it wasn't so different. Like, uh, America, good no. American girls were also raised to be good American girls. Right. And Yeah. And I believe it took me so long, Ashley. I, too, felt like I felt like, you know, my mom used to call me 
um, an egoistka in Russian it is, means selfish. And she mm-hmm. didn't know better because also my mom had me at 22 because that's what they did there, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, she didn't know better because that's what she was called in her childhood. So God forbid you wanted something, you voiced something, you were an egoistka and that's a chapter in the book. Yep. That, yeah, I think that's the one that I just read. Yeah, well, probably. That would make sense. Yeah. That would make yeah. sense. Yeah. And so it, it takes a yeah, long time. It is. <laughs> so funny. So yeah, I really did feel I did not it's so funny because when I was people pleasing for many years as well, and we still do. I mean, let's not we still want to be liked. We still want to be yeah. sweet. Sure. But, but when I was doing it, I can't tell you how not good I felt about myself. I did not feel like a good person for most of my life. And I was so good in my try. I was trying to be so good. And right now I try so much less, but I feel like a good person. I thought that's so interesting, this dichotomy. When you're trying so hard, you can never live up to the trying. But when you recognize your own goodness, of course we're born good. Of course we're born worthy. Mm-hmm. And, and of course then the world screws with us and maybe we don't always act as good and maybe we do mess up. That never, so our innate goodness, it can actually never be taken away. I really believe that. And I've I've visited women in jail and I've I've talked to women in jail about the Tao Te Ching and I see such goodness in these women and I don't care what they've done and they've done some stuff. I see such goodness. The goodness rests within all of us. And when we're able to connect with it, it becomes easier to not feel the pressure to please because you know it's there. You know yeah. you're good. You know you're acting from your intentions of what you feel is right. But feeling feeling the need to please other people is also, how is that good? You know, like how is that good to deplete yourself at the expense of someone mm-hmm. else? You know? Sure. And, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That's what I've learned is that like, it's like where I'm at now in my life, <laughs> I have nothing to prove to the world anymore. Like, I, like I, I am who I am and I love me for me. That took me a long time to get there. Me and too. Your book I love is, you. Yeah. And your book is like continuing to give me that inspiration and these just beautiful, gentle, thought provoking reminders that like we are good and like to pause and be still. And I think it's just such a beautifully, beautifully written book, Jesse. And I know it was therapeutic for you to write, but like it is, it's so, it's been so healing for me. And I think it's going to be so healing for people as soon as it comes out too. You know, I thank you for saying that. I, I love that you say that, but um, I also, love that this wisdom doesn't come from me. Like I was able mm-hmm. to really lean into it. I right. will take credit for that. I was able to lean yeah. into it. But the Tao Te Ching like continuously tells us, you know, there's a difference. And I thought it was brilliant from 6th century BC. It tells us there's a difference between being virtuous and doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And there's a difference. They say like when virtue's missing, when true virtue's missing, that's when people become patriotic. And I was like, oh my God, this is so true. That's when MAGA gets born, you know? Like when you lose your own innate human goodness, you start performing. That's right. And what's the point anyway? What's the yeah. point of that performing? Like it's not even genuine. Yeah, it's so true. And I feel like for a majority of my life until I had my health breakdown, I was performing. I was, and I always say like, I was an Oscar worthy actress. And I feel like, Jesse, you were a legit actress. And, you know, like, (laughs) and, but it's true. And I think a lot of women, even these days, like social media is like, we're getting the highlight reel. We're getting the best, the best. We are acting on social media. I mean, now I, I don't, 
I don't care anymore, but I used to. Um, and I feel like a lot of society does too. But these books like yours are these like gentle reminders of like, you are good enough of who you are. You don't need all the Botox, the fashion, the Instagram worthy pictures, all that stuff. Like, you don't, you just need you and stillness, right? Yeah, I totally think that that feeds into that whole cycle of unwellness, always showing, because, you know, we yeah. always show the best side of us. And let's be honest, the best side of us comes out um, in a minority of the time, mm-hmm. not a majority of the time. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the time, we are who we are. And you know what's Sometimes so funny? Like ever since I started writing really honestly, which was a couple of years ago, like before, you know, before this book, I was writing some, I wrote an article called um, My One-Sided Competition with My Husband's Ex-Wife. And it was all <laughs> about like this obsession I had. When, when I met my husband, he was actually not fully divorced. I mean, it was it was a short marriage and it ended, um, you know, because... I think there was not genuine love involved, but I was like obsessed, right? I was obsessed and I, and I wrote really honestly about, you know, going down these social media rabbit holes and just, it was like embarrassing to me. Like I, I love the article, but it's also, it was cringeworthy then. And it's funny because <laughs> now, and, but then I realized that like when we're our most vulnerable selves, that's what really, and it doesn't mean everyone will love us. And oh my God, I had people come because then the, that that article went viral in Australia. It was picked up by an Australian publication, and there were comments like, "Oh my God, the second wife is crazier than the first." <laughs> 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 and and I was like, you know, so I had this whole like a uh, uh, lesson with my first few articles that got big. I had this lesson of just letting go of the caring of what people thought. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to do that when you we have to. There. But also the most genuine connections happen. Like even the people in my life so genuinely true. understand me because I am vulnerable and I am honest about my crazy and whatnot. And who knew that if you're just your honest, messy self, actually the people who like you really like you. They like, they like you, you even more. Yeah. Right. Like exactly. You. They like you for your honest self, not for some like, pretty shell you put out there. Yeah. Yeah. So true. It's it's so true. Connections deepen and your relationship gets gets so much better when you show up vulnerable. Um, So Jesse, I I just want one more question. I mean, you've given so much incredible knowledge to us and have been so open and vulnerable and sharing your own story. Are there any parting words, anything that you wanted to touch on um, before we leave you today? And then of course we want to hear where, if you can share where people can find more information about you and your book. Yeah, I would. I just want to tell everyone, um, no matter where you are on your journey, because this is what I wish someone would told me. I say this in the book: no matter where you are in your life journey, it's all good. There is no wrong place to be. A bottom is as great a place as a top, and that's where a lot of our healing and transformation happens. There's no bad place. Like there's nothing to keep up with. There's nothing to measure up to wherever you are. If you accept yourself exactly in that place, real magical transformation and healing can occur, but you got to just accept yourself and give yourself a break. It's hard enough to just be human. So wherever you are, it's all good. That's so beautiful, Jesse. Okay. Where can we get more information about you? And you guys can't see this, but it's a beautiful book. Don't just sit there, do nothing. (laughs) 
You can find everything about me at jessiecanzer.com and you can order Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your indie bookstore, wherever books are sold. Jesse, you're amazing. You are. We'll talk to you guys again in two weeks.